Hello, my magical friends. My name's Ayumi. My pronouns are she, her, hers. And you're listening to Sparkle Side Chats with Magical Girl Ayu. Whether it's your first or 178th time listening, we welcome you to our space to celebrate magical girls from every corner of the world. We have a lot of news, and I've watched some things, and then we'll get to today's topic. So let's get started. So quite a few different things got announced over the past two weeks, first of which being the the YouTube Magical Girl web series Hello Osaka has announced a virtual mystery show called Witch's Mystery in collaboration with Kamitsubaki Studio. Uh, there's more news to come, but it will debut in March of 2024. That's about all we know at the moment. Next, the Magical Girl bullet hell game Magic Chaos, or Magikaosu, just got announced and this is a game for people who are fans of games like Toho Project and uh, yeah it's just um, a game with a bunch of magical girl characters. It sounds like fun. (laughs) Next we got the announcement for the adaptation. Well we already knew that um, Maho Aku or the magical girl and evil lieutenant used to be arch enemies. The adaptation was announced last year but we did get further information, including the first key visual, which is quite lovely. It definitely mimics the style of the comic, but also has that flair that we expect from this particular character designer. So I'm very excited about how this is going to be visually. And we got the announcement of exactly when this is coming out. We knew an adaptation was coming, but we had no idea when or even if it would be this year. But now we know that it is coming this year. In fact, it's coming out in July. So you can look forward to that. And they announced the main cast, the two main characters, right? Our magical girl and our evil lieutenant. It just so happens that they had already voiced these characters in the drama CD. So it makes sense that they would reprise the roles for this adaptation. Uh, We've actually opened up a little book club section in the sparkle side chat server for anyone else who does want to read this comic before uh, in anticipation we're just doing a chapter a week so it's going to be super easy to catch up so please join us i'm actually already a little behind but that's neither here nor there okay and next in very interesting news we um are getting a novel for doki doki precure so for anyone who doesn't remember, we did get quite a few novels. Um, these are all uh, junior high school grade level novels for um, various Precure seasons, as well as two seasons who have junior novels. Those would be Gopri and Mahotsukai. But yes, this is a new thing. So a novel akin to the past novels that we have gotten will be out for Doki Doki Precure. They've already announced that it's going to be a sequel, which is not always the case. Some of the novels do take place during the course of the show itself, but this one is actually going to be a sequel. We're going to find out what has happened next. This is pretty much definitely in celebration of the uh, 10-year anniversary of Doki Doki Precure. I can't believe it's already gotten to this point, but here we are. And uh, we got some art from the character designer of Doki Pri, Akira Takahashi, so that's super awesome. I'm definitely pumped. I'm excited. I'm currently in the middle of rewatching this season, 
Uh, I will get into that later. But yeah, I'm super, super, <laughs> super into it. I'm so happy that this is happening. And yeah, we're going to see what happens next with these characters. And then next, of course, we had already known that the Pretty Series would be making a return this year in April. But we actually got the information regarding what this new series would be. So we got visuals and a trailer and everything for Himitsu no Aipuri. So Secret Aipuri. Aipuri for short. This is going to be a variation on this idol series where uh, the main characters are best friends who are secretly idols at their school. So this looks like a lot of fun. I really can't wait to see what this particular iteration of the Purdue series brings us. So let's see. After that, we did get one more thing. Um, literally just hours before this recording, I got this news in my feed and I'm super excited to share. Pearl Lowe had recently announced their own indie animation studio, Orange Blossom, has announced their very first animation project that uh, has a Kickstarter. So this is called Wheels and Roses, and this is going to be a Magical Girl Roller Derby series. Now they are looking to fund a pilot, which is super cool, and they need a lot of money. So if you can donate at all to their campaign, that would be super helpful. They have a lot of interesting tiers if you're interested in perks for their uh, campaign. But yeah, I'm super excited. The trailer looks great. I love the style, the cast, uh, the, the crew that they have on. They have done a lot of other past Magical Girls, both uh, in the US as well as in Japan. Some of, One of the animators worked on a Magical Destroyers last year, which is pretty neat. But yeah, so I am like super excited to see this um, come to fruition. I really, really hope it does. So if you can spare a few dollars, please, please, please submit, donate what you can, because it is super important that we get you know, these cool indie projects um, supported and, you know, able to to get off the ground because that's how we can see more in the genre that like we need to see, you know, because we just have a lot of underrepresentation. And so uh, leave it to a creator like Pearl Lowe to come up with this project. I'm super, super hyped about this. So please, please, please go support this project. Um, so that is all for the news. So let's get on to what I've been watching. Starting with the seasonals, Magical Girl Aiko is continuing. It's still kind of weird and silly. And like, I know what they're trying to say and I don't agree with what they're trying to say. So it's kind of whatever, but it's only four minutes a week. So whatever, I guess. But she did get her update, which was uh, mandated by, I guess, her PR team. And now she has a cancel beam, so that's something. I kind of do like the design of her outfit, though. It's, you know, the fire and everything. It's actually kind of neat. I just wish it wasn't for this, but whatever. <laughs> Next, um, I am still getting through Rushing Over Magical Girls. It's still really hard to watch, but yeah, I, I guess there is some plot there, but... Yeah, it's still something I'm watching, still something I'm trying to figure out if it's ever going to be worth discussing on the podcast or not. I'm at this point kind of leaning more towards not, but we'll see. I'm getting through it. I don't have anything new to say in particular about this week's episode. It's just like, yeah, okay, I wish there weren't any kids involved in this particular episode, but that's what the show is. So anyway, moving on. 
Hirogaru Sky Pre-Gear, Soaring Sky Pre-Gear, did end last weekend with a very, very tearful goodbye. It was such a delightful season, such a fun story, and I had just so much fun. The The ending and the battle and stuff was just like totally wild, and there were just so many interesting things going on that uh, just got you really, really pumped. I mean, the episode before last, episode 49, we got something that happened for the first time in the entire series, the entire franchise, which is neat. And based on the reaction that we have heard about from children about it, I don't think they're going to necessarily do that anytime soon again. But it's neat that they did that one time, even if it was for like five minutes of one episode. Still, it was a really fun way to, you know, celebrate Precure being around for 20 years. It was just such a nice season. And we can see so much about what is coming next for the genre based on what this season was. So I'm really excited about it. And I'm excited, you know, when I get to cover it on the podcast itself, it'll be really fun. Next, Call Me Witch Lara Season 2 is still going, still uh, putting its episodes week by week on YouTube. So I have been continuing to watch. Again, I don't understand Korean. I am flying by the seat of my pants, slash depending on the auto-translated subtitles, which are, you know, they're auto-translated subtitles. But still, I'm enjoying the story and understanding enough to, you know, get excited about things and so on. You know, there are some other characters now at this point that I really feel like might end up also becoming full magical girls and maybe magical boys. Now, I say full-fledged because everyone in this world already does use magic, but, you know, the the levels to which they use magic to become a Komi witch is, is a bit different. So there is that. And then before we go, I did finish watching some things. So the first thing being um, something I actually had mentioned when it first debuted last year, which is a Magical Girl Pure Angel. So this is a YouTube mini drama series um, done by the dance troupe Vipera. And so there are only two episodes and each episode is split into two parts, you know, part A, part B. Basically, the show, if we were to kind of take it at face value, the concept is that the uh, dance troupe play the villains. So the villains are recurring characters. However, the magical girl is different every episode. So we have a different guest star who gets to go through a kind of typical magical girl situation, bumps into the same uh, mascot every week. Basically, this mascot finds a random girl who needs to help someone and turns her into magical girl, pure angel. And she does defeat the evil villains. And then she uh, gets to be a normal woman slash girl for the rest of her life. The end. But then the next week, the same thing happens with a new girl. Now, granted, again, there are only two episodes. This is probably the lowest budget magical girl series I've ever seen. It's a factor where it's like the actors aren't really necessarily acting very well. But it is entertaining in that way. Uh, granted, um, if you decide to watch this, and I will put a link to the playlist in the show notes, I uh, just a major warning that the villains are depicted as like massive Chinese stereotypes, and their ending song where they dance along and everything is also very aggressively uh, Chinese stereotyped. So it's a bit 
much and doesn't really make much sense in the grand scheme of the story. Also, one of said villains does make sexual remarks at both girls, actually. And in the first particular, in the first episode, the character who becomes pure angel is supposed to be in middle school. She's definitely not actually, I'm pretty sure she's an adult in real life, but but I'm just, just putting that out there. So keep that, keep that in mind, please. It is a mess, but it's a fascinating mess. So yeah, that's Magical Girl, Pure Angel. And then um, I actually forgot to mention this last episode, but I finished watching Delicious Party Precure for the second time. Um, to be more specific, I watched it um, as my spouse's first time. And it was the first time my spouse finished a full length season of Precure. They've now also watched Otona Precure with me. Yeah, they are totally sold. They get Precure now. They, I, I just need to re- mostly report on their reaction because I already knew I loved Delicious Party, but it was such, it was just as fun the second time around. I just had a great time and I really enjoyed seeing, you know, the love of my life also enjoying Precure. We have now moved on to watching Doki Doki Precure because they had seen in a uh, Japanese ranking website i don't know which one that according to that website it was the best season of all the seasons so they wanted to check it out so i'm excited for that that's gonna be a lot of fun so far so good they're really enjoying it so i'm just like over the moon so happy that this turn of events has happened you know and i truly don't care what anyone thinks about delicious party precure in the negative because it's the season that got my beloved into Precure. And then um, last but not least, I finished watching Dekoboko Macho, which aired last season, and it was just okay. Like, all in all, it's a fine thing to watch, I guess. There are certainly a lot of jokes that don't land for me, just putting that out there. Uh, there's a lot of bathroom humor I really don't mess with, but the characters are charming enough, um, and there is definitely a lot of humor in how badly basically every male character is treated, except for the one who is actually a good dad. I don't really have much else to say about it. The ending is pretty open-ended. It could easily just end there and there not be a sequel, but they might be able to fit that in. They certainly left those crumbs there, and you can certainly um, observe them if you read the comic, I'm sure. So it would be interesting. If they do make a season two, I'll watch it. But it's not necessarily something I'm like a super hype about. But yes, oh goodness, I did watch a lot, didn't I? Um, so that is everything for that. And now we can move on to today's topic. So super excited about today's conversation because we're going back to the 2000s, going back to one of my favorites. Now, granted, most of the ones from the 2000s that I watched at the time were my favorites. <laughs> There's a lot of good ones. But uh, yeah, we are going to start talking about Sugar Sugaroon. I say start because today we're going to be only talking about the first half. So the second half we'll get to later. If you're someone who doesn't like spoilers, you know, we don't talk about anything that happens in the second half at all. So you won't be spoiled for that. There are certainly some spoilers from what is unveiled in the middle of the season, which we will talk about at the end of the episode. So 
you know, when we get to that, you can certainly skip ahead if you would like or just stop listening at that point. I totally understand. But that's the spoiler warning aspect there. And also, as general warnings for the series and our conversation, we do talk about relationships with age gaps um, among youth. So it's like a smaller age gap, but still an age gap nonetheless. And I think that's the main thing. Yes. Uh, and we do talk about like the relationship between uh, storytelling and sexuality when it comes to children and children's media a little bit. So keep that in mind. But yeah, I'm really excited also about today's guest, who is Willow. So Willow is an artist. She's a very lovely person to chat with online. I really respect her opinions and and love hearing from her about her thoughts. Um, we definitely mostly talk about Precure because, you know, that's what's airing right now. But it was really nice to talk to her about this older show. Well, relatively older, of course. And uh, yeah, I definitely hope that you enjoy her her thoughts on the show and, and all that. But yes, I don't think there's anything else I have to say up top here. So let's get into today's chat with Willow about Sugar Sugaroon, part one. So we are here to talk about the first half of Sugar Sugar Rune from 2005, and I'm very delighted to have on a new guest. Can you please introduce yourself? Hi, um, apologies. So my name is Willow. My pronouns are she, her. Um, I guess a little about me. To keep it short and simple, I like to do character designs and write my own stories within those characters that I do. And I've loved Magical Girls since as much as I could remember in fourth grade, at least when starting out on it, to um, kept going to look for it. But yeah, hi, it's me. <laughs> yes, yeah, so happy to have you on. Excited to hear another young voice. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. A younger perspective on uh, the genre. But yeah, so just to kind of get more deeper into that, Willow, uh, what is your history with the magical girl genre like where does it start what was your first show and and how is it now so basically i would say around fourth grade is when i started to um i guess had a better understanding what it was called but even then i've known about the magical girl genre way before moving into the united states because back in cuba at least in my hometown and neighborhood we had this whole channel um, where it would broadcast random TV series. And one of them was Sailor Moon and Cardcaptor Sakura. So hmm. at such a very young age, without knowing what it's called, I've been heavily interested in it. And it just gave me, I don't know, because usually when I see quote-unquote heroes shows, um, which I I've always watched as well. I've always wondered if there was some sort of girls out there that have the same equivalent as boys do, where they're seen as the heroes in general. And then when I saw shows like Sailor Moon, Cardcaptor Sakura, I believe they also broadcast in Minky Momo too. So those were my first times watching it. And it just made me, again, without knowing about the terms correctly, and I was really young, I was probably like, four or five it made me feel better 
about my own femininity of some sorts and I would pretend to act like them as well and it, it's just I don't know it just gave me a sort of sense of wonder and I would say it's definitely one of my first and still is going as my one of my special interests and so then around six I moved to the United States with my mother and I guess I would say I had a culture shock because in Cuba there isn't any internet or connection much when we want to watch something we have usually we either watch in a channel or a sort of we have to buy discs of it usually in bad quality too sometimes so when I found out about so many shows it's definitely it's sort of like think of I gotta catch them all but instead I've gotta watch them all sort of mindset <laughs> and in fourth grade um during after care I had a teacher there when she would um, look after me and the other students in aftercare and I don't know where she got it but she had a Tokyo Mew Mew a la mode manga um, and it was definitely oh. the first one I read too and that's how I found out about Tokyo Mew Mew and the magical girl genre in general at least in terms of searching up about it and I also was a bit confused when I was watching Tokyo Mew Mew the anime because I was wondering where Mew Berry was. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, she was my first favorite way before Lettuce, but I was definitely really confused because I was wondering where she was. But either mm. way, I still love Mew Ichiko as the protagonist. I still do. But yeah, it's, yeah, it's basically yeah. a lot of discovery when I first found it. And during that moment, I would watch a lot of magical girl shows based on the quote-unquote famous recommendations I find on random YouTube videos and one of them was Sugar Sugar Rune that I happened to come across it and when I first watched it it was definitely a delight to me especially it was definitely it was like around the time where I was overall finding a lot of magical girls including ones such as Shigochara and Princess Tutu too as well and just mm. overall there's just something for me when, when I first saw it as a really young, and by young, very young person, it just gave me sort of security, comfort, and a sense of joy too, that I never knew I thought I would experience. And it's definitely given me a lot of inspiration, as well with the importance of how writing female characters in general watching something like this I thought that maybe I could do something similar as that and to give them a voice so to say hence making these characters even if some of my characters are not magical girls I noticed that they still have some magical girl elements to them or that I could imagine them seeing in such scenarios as well so I guess to put it short it's basically one of my big steps as a part of my own individual self, so to say. And it's something I don't think I will not give up or abandon, especially since it's an important part of my journey um, moving to a new country as well. Hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, it's really nice. Mm -hmm. Trying to imagine, you know, yeah. getting to that point of like, having very little access to magical girls and then suddenly having so much so many yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah that's really awesome though and i'm i'm definitely glad 
like you mentioned your your art and stuff and i love your characters and stuff it's so fun to watch really? uh thank you design your characters yeah yeah i really i love what you do with your uh designs and things i've i appreciate it very yeah. much <laughs> Of course. So yeah, before we actually jump directly into Sugar Sugar Rune, I do need to name drop a very important work of Magical Girl history that predates Sugar Sugar Rune and must be acknowledged when talking about this series. And um, I complain a lot that it does not come up in conversation at all, which is baffling to me personally, but... That is understandable. <laughs> yes. Uh, so... You know, back in the mid seventies, we had Majoko Megu-chan, which is um, a series that has, you know, its its issues and so on. But it is a very interesting and very important kind of series for the genre, and that it had a lot of firsts. Um, we did cover part of the show already in an earlier episode, so people who want to listen can check it out. But for the context of Sugar Sugar Rune, I want to just basically briefly describe the series for anyone who doesn't know about it. Right. Megu is a witch who comes to Earth to uh, train to become the Witch Queen. She's, you know, a candidate for Witch Queen. And so that is kind of her her goal is to to figure out, you know, exactly what she needs. She doesn't even know exactly like what the goal is in general, but like she knows that part of the journey of becoming the Witch Queen is is this. And Megu happens to have red hair and she has a heart-shaped pendant. And she does little bits of magic here and there. Um, and quickly after her arrival, well, a rival character in Nun shows up, who is mostly blue. In fact, her skin is pale white. Um, and she has a yellow diamond pendant. And she is also a witch who is, you know, trying to become the witch queen. And their series, it's not like about their rivalry per se, but it is a major right. part of their series. It's mostly about, you know, Begu learning about humanity and becoming more human-like and no one also learns uh, a lot of that as well but yeah it's like this whole thing about how like which world is this completely other place compared to the human world and you know the the cultures and, and all of that and so you know you watch a show and then you see sugar sugar rune and you go hold on a second <laughs> um because sugar sugar rune is a series originally a comic by Moyoko Anno about two witches who are coming to Earth because they are candidates to become witch queens. One of them will become the queen of the magic world. Uh, currently, Vanilla's mother is um, the queen, right? Queen Candy. And Chocola is our protagonist. She is mostly pink, but she has red hair and she has a heart-shaped pendant. And Vanilla has a yellow diamond-shaped pendant. She wears mostly purple, but also some blue, and also has very light-colored hair. Um, but one thing that's majorly different is the kind of goals and everything. So they are witches. They are also best friends with completely opposite personalities. And they have determined that even though they are both you know, competing to become the queen of the magic world, they will not um, risk their own friendship over it. Like they will always be best friends no matter what. And part of this goal is actually quite economical in that they have to collect hearts from boys. So they themselves are young girls, right? They are in mm -hmm. fourth grade or fifth grade and um, they have to collect the hearts of boys and doing so actually racks them quite a literal currency in the witch world because 
depending on the level of love that the boy feels when they capture the heart from you know various colors whatever the actual value the monetary value of the heart increases as well so it's a very interesting premise for a lot of reasons but it's also like one of our latest in like actual majoko series like there is an episode right. where shokola is called a majoko so it's a pretty important series for that reason before we get into like full hero mode at this time so <laughs> i yeah. got it so, yeah, so yeah. Willow, can you tell us more about how you got into Sugar Sugar Room? I think I've explained it before, and before I do, you, once you were describing Megu-chan, I believe, um, yeah, the different dissimilarities are really, they're really similar. I'll check that out later. But <laughs> as for Sugar Sugar Room, my history with this series, it's definitely, it's how to describe it, because I do have interesting memories of it because I would say when I first watched it again I was really young also in elementary as well I guess I would say around fourth or fifth grade around there's when I watched it I didn't notice the problematic aspects first yet it was sort of it was it was just Mm -hmm. the whole time I was like oh look it's witches stealing the hearts of getting the hearts of boys and stuff and a lot of Candyland instances and themes within the names and environments here and there but then when i slowly grow up is when i go okay i'm seeing some critiques here and there that maybe could have done better in this aspect of the series but overall it's really entertaining and i still love it very much it's just a matter of look out for this sort of problematic aspect of the show but as for history or at least the good aspects of the show um, when I love something, or at least when I, before I found out about Magical Girls, my one of my special interests was is fairy tales. Still is, and usually, not all the time, but a good portion of the time when I really love something, I just naturally I connected or or sense a sort of pattern that I can see a sort of similarity within fairy tale tropes because I do kind of see it a lot used very often in many medias um not all of course but good portion of so sugar sugar rune is definitely not an exception from it so sugar sugar rune when i was finding out about it when i first heard about it it caught my attention where um the whole concept of gaining the love of specifically boys as well which caught my attention as well because when it comes to that sort of concept, even if it's, again, done before or not, it usually when I think of that concept, or at least it's usually used with like, quote unquote, sweeter tropes. And by that, I mean like princesses and fairies, you know, those that are seen in good light in many cases, or at least in media. But witches, um, at least within the books, they're usually seen as um, in a bad light. But seeing it, and again, I was young, I was still learning a lot of new stuff. So seeing witches presented in a good light, it definitely caught my attention. Especially, um, I don't know if this is coincidental or not, but having witches connect with candy, especially this happens a lot in Sugar Sugar Room from what I've seen, it takes me back to the story of Hansel and Gretel where you know the witch inside um, that is lives inside a candy house and uses that sort of candy house to 
gain the attention of little kids and stuff. But then using this sort of um, aspect of the story to Sugar Sugar Rune, where it's like witches, and then the world they live in is has a lot of candy here and there, at least especially with the names, because we have chocolate, um, vanilla, queen candy, even names such as cinnamon too, basically a lot of sweeter aspects within the the world building of witches. And again, I'm not even sure if that's coincidental or intentional, but it's something of a connection I sort of made, or at least at how I analyzed it. Um, and as for how I felt about it, it definitely gave me so much inspiration. I think Sugar Sugar Rune was one of the first medias in general where it made me become interested of designing characters because looking at the art direction of Moyoko Ano with how she draws the characters, mm. I don't know, there's just something about it that's really, in my opinion, that's something about it that's really unique to her own style and her fashion choices and the signs within these characters feel really fitting within not only the character themselves, but also the environment too, that's based on the, that the story is based around of. And it's something that I really wanted to try and still am trying um, within my art. So Sugar Sugar Rune is not only a inspirational story and one that gives me a lot of comfort, but it's also has given me a lot of inspiration within the art department and not just in the show, but also in the comic as well, whenever I search it up, panels and stuff. And it's just overall, and I think the world building within it, it also gives, or at least it plays a lot within childhood innocence or playfulness too. And in such, the witches do have a little bit of pointy ears and I feel like they act a lot like fairies to a point, at least at least with the sort of playful fae, as how they would describe it. So it's just, it is quite an interesting direction within um, the witch tropes as well, because again, witches are usually depicted in bad light. And right now we are seeing a lot of di different directions within the witch tropes. And Sugar Sugar Rune, I definitely do feel, is one of those directions that should definitely give some sort of attention to. I also did have a sort of connection, or at least I felt, I guess, compelled with Chocolate and Vanilla as characters themselves. I I really love their dynamic very much. It's definitely one of the biggest highlights of the series themselves. Mm. And story in general, as I did love the world building and I cannot wait until I'm able to read the comic of Sugar Sugar Rune, because um, it's been on my mind for quite a while. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I guess I would say that's my history of it um, with Sugar Sugar Rune. Hmm. Yeah, I think it's really interesting what you said about like the witches having this positive connection and association with candy and things, because mm -hmm. that is kind of like a very magical girl thing. Like, you know, the the origin of the genre stemming from a good witch kind of story right. and kind of going on from there and having these like cute little witches, you know, that's how the magical was kind of right. invented. I mean, the the kind of like food and candy uh, association and stuff, that's like very, very deliberate throughout throughout the whole mm -hmm. thing. Like even their, their Japanese names, if you will, uh, when they come to earth are also like 
just more food puns and things. So there's just like a lot of silliness all around in that regard. Um, oh, actually, speaking of which, you should probably just point it out because this is something that comes up a lot, I think, for English speakers and especially Americans. Oh, okay. Uh, so meilleur is, you know, chocolate's like surname in the magic world. Meilleur means better. And then uh, vanilla's surname is mieux, which means best. And, you know, that's cute and all, but when they come to Earth, they can't have those names. So uh, <laughs> their their caretaker, um, Rockin' Robin, who is also a wild and hilarious character. I love him. <laughs> he gives them the surnames uh, Kato and Aisu, respectively, which makes their names a pun on uh, Gato Chocolat or chocolate cake and Vanilla mm -hmm. Aisu or Vanilla Ice Cream. Right. But, because Aisu is short for ice cream in um, in Japanese, a lot of people get confused when they see that Vanilla's name is Vanilla Ice. And there's like a whole lot of jokes in the fandom about the rapper instead. Um, they just kind of like go to that first, which is silly, but, you know, I kind of feel like I have to to mention that. Anyway, right. <laughs> it's, it's not important, but, but yeah. <laughs> no, no yeah. definitely important. Definitely. <laughs> But yeah, so, you know, this show we see like very similar to, to Megu-chan. It's a show about these two witches learning how the human world is so different from their world. I mean, the first thing just being that chocolate was like super popular, especially with the boys back home. And then she right. comes to Earth and like human boys do not like her approach at all. And so she thought that this would be a breeze, like she could steal hearts, no problem. But it's actually very difficult for her. Meanwhile, Vanilla is not popular back in the magic world because she's super shy and soft-spoken and really a, a bit of a scaredy cat. And on Earth, that is actually a huge, I should say not Earth, it's in Japan, right? But uh, in Japan, right. that really works out for her in that a lot of the boys just think that's like super charming. And um, yeah, they're just, she has no problem getting hearts every day. <laughs> And, you know, she still wants it to be like a fair trade and stuff, a fair game. Um, and they also each get familiars uh, with them. So Vanilla gets uh, Blanca, who's this white mouse who is very, very, very um, rude, especially to Chocolat. To Chocolat. Oh. Yes. And then uh, Chocolat gets uh, Duke, who is this frog who is really not helpful um, and quite rude as well. But there's a lot of uh, fun dynamics with with the four of them just yeah throughout the different you know episodes they they have all these different kind of little adventures they also have this catalog which um you know is full of different items that they can buy with the money they are making you know collecting hearts uh using a, a cure which is the, the the currency of the magic world to buy things that will hopefully help them to get even more hearts is the idea um, and some episodes are them like getting something like that and it like just not working out for one reason or another and there being a lot of silliness there but one thing that's very clear from you know very early on is that you know they are allowed to take as many hearts as they want because human hearts come in like they're like basically infinite supply more or more or less you know there there right. is a limit which chocolate learns later but generally speaking you know their hearts will grow back so to speak so that's why they can take so many of them and that's why there are also other witches and wizards in the uh, human world who just live there to collect hearts all the time and they're basically just 
wealthy because of that. Uh, like Rock and Robin, who is a a rock star and just has no trouble getting attention, etc. But they have the important rule that, you know, as magic people, they are not allowed to give up their own heart because if they do, they have only one and it will kill them to lose it. So that's something they have to keep in mind. Um, again, even though they're very young, but sure. Right. And at first, it doesn't seem to be a problem, except there is this one guy at school who is um, mm-hmm. part of the <laughs> junior high school uh, branch of the school named Pierre who is called a prince by this fan club of his, who are called the members. And they're all very threatened by Chocolat in particular. And Chocolat seems at first to not get along with Pierre, but she keeps being fascinated by him throughout the show. So yeah, were there any particular like episodes early on that you wanted to talk about as far as like, you know, different adventures they have? Um, let's see, if I recall, I don't know why, but I definitely love, um, again, not sure why, but I generally love, um, the start of the series, um, especially when it's like, how to describe it, the calm before the storm, where the girls are getting adjusted to this new environment for them. And I just find it really funny how Chocolat find out that the human world, or at least as you said, in Japan, because I think that's the location where they are, yeah. is really different in back in the witch witch world where again chocolate is gonna have a lot of trouble sealing hearts while vanilla is a breeze for her and as for the um, any other particular se- parts because i i i don't know something about me that where like i do remember certain points here and there but i don't remember the exact numbers of the episode so it's more of like i remember this portion of the series do i know the number of the episode where it took place no but i remember it's that's important um well that's okay like was there any particular (laughs) just from like a description is there anything that like comes to mind for example um the kind of way that the characters, like especially Chocolat, of course, you know, view mm-hmm. the even the act of like capturing hearts is very interesting. Right. And and one thing that's like really funny is that like as far as the the kind of range and stuff, the cheapest possible heart that you can collect is yellow, and it's called piss heart, which is very funny. Right. <laughs> and it's like basically worthless, and it's just like the heart of surprise. But, you know, when Chocolat first sees one, she gets super excited and, and goes for it, right? And then in episode three, we actually get an episode, that's the episode where she first gets a heart that's, like, genuine. Like, at this point, a lot of the hearts, they change, you know, for, for vanilla, no problem, right? So, like, the right. next level is orange and then pink. So she gets a lot of orange and pink hearts all the time. But for Chocolat, it's more, a lot more difficult and uh, this boy at the school newspaper, Nishitani, gets a crush on Chocolat as he's trying to learn about this these mysterious new girls at school. And at first she like is like, okay, I got to get it right away. But she keeps forgetting or like things keep happening. And so right. it kind of doesn't work for her. And she's trying to kind of figure out how to deal with the feelings of, of you know, having this boy like her and stuff and how to handle that. Um, and it becomes this whole problem. Like it literally... His feelings get in the way of his friendships, of his club activities and everything. And so 
she decides to finally go for his heart, just as it changes from orange to pink. So like it actually was worth something for it to like remain in his body, I guess. I don't know. It's hard to explain, but sure. I get um, it. Yeah. <laughs> it's how I see it is that it's more of like connecting with the feelings as well. So mm -hmm. I would say... I don't know why I usually connect it with the emotional or mental energy within the character, not just overall yeah. the physical body. Of and course. no, I get what you were trying to say. <laughs> but I do remember that episode. I found that really adorable because it's like, I feel like that's one of the, and again, not go with numbers, but thank you for reminding where it comes from, which is episode three, as you said. Um, it definitely, I love that episode because right away at the beginning, it shows that chocolate, even though she can be messy, rude sometimes, basically really um, vocal on certain aspects. Again, the opposite of vanilla. But it shows that even then she still cons is considerate of other people. So that's why for me, I get a little bit, I don't know, I guess stubborn when people say that chocolate is selfish and only thinks about herself and i'm just like right in episode three or at least right at the beginning of the show as well it already focuses on the fact that yes chocolate even wants to become the witch queen but even then she's still learning because she's really super young and two she's still considerate of other people she just doesn't like when people are rude to her hence why she fights back in some sense but yeah i love that episode because it's just, it's already, how to describe it, the start of letting the, the viewer and audience know that these are still young girls, and not only still young, young girls, but also young girls that are from a whole different world that they're learning in this new world that they have never set foot upon until now. And seeing in Chocolat's perspective as her being the main protagonist there. And I also do like how the main protagonist isn't vanilla i do love her i do love her very much as a character especially as another secondary protagonist specifically but usually in a lot of shows just in general because when i was looking at it i usually would find many protagonists to be usually in vanilla's shoes really friendly and stuff but seeing a main protagonist to be similar to chocolate is definitely something i've never seen before at least when i was looking at it but that episode is definitely one of the things that I really, one of my favorite episodes that I loved about it. Other episodes that I do love about Sugar Sugar Rune, I don't know how to describe it. I did found originally interesting that dynamic between Pierre and Chocolate, not in a romantic perspective per se, even though that's the approach, unfortunately. I did liked it in a sense of her questioning her own feelings. It's hard to explain because it's like, I know it's one of the most important aspects of her character, but it's something that I don't like how it approaches because it's definitely one of the most problematic aspects of the show. I guess to describe it is her finding out her own consideration of her own feelings in general, and in, in general, and not just romantic, just a lot of stuff like sadness, anger, and frustration, which usually is connected to not just with Vanilla, but also in a lot of some dynamic episodes between Pierre and Chocolat. And in one of those episodes, again, don't remember the number, but it was around the fencing episode where she mm -hmm. challenges Pierre 
where she begins to, or at least she wants to try it out to challenge him. And as you said, the fan club, you know, as well, ridiculing her or saying to stay away from him, that sort of thing. It's quite interesting. And again, it's definitely one of my favorite aspects of Chocolat, in a sense of her like discovering her own consideration of her own emotions in general. But overall, it definitely gives me a little bit of, mm, I guess, raising an eyebrow, so to say, reaction. But I did like the fencing episode, mainly because it actually gives Chocolat a challenge as well. But yeah, that's one one of the episodes I remember, but also in general arcs and about the first half of Sugar Sugar Room. Hmm. Yeah, so the episode you mentioned, that's yet yeah, episode six. It's a really interesting episode. It's kind of like the beginning of that dynamic between Chocolat and Pierre, where mm-hmm. It's kind of clear even to the viewer that something's up with that guy, but like Chocolat is really like, okay, I got to figure out like her thing is like, this guy is suspicious to me. So I got to figure out what's up with him. So that's why she's like pursuing him more or less. Right. And yeah, it's like really funny. And it's like a whole thing where, you know, again, he is in the middle school area, right? He's a little bit older than her. Mm -hmm. Um, And then like all of the, uh, the members are also around his age. So they're so threatened by this 10-year-old. It's very fascinating. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting because she tries really hard, even though she's never done fencing before, and she loses. But like, even so, she still gets the attention of a lot of the boys and so on. Right. And what's really interesting is like, I think what you mentioned about like, you know, her at the beginning, people thinking that Chocolat is selfish. It's like, yeah, she's selfish for like five minutes. And then like the whole <laughs> show is her character development. That's why you watch a TV show. But, um, you know, whatever. And she's definitely got a lot going on as far as what she is trying to do, because like she has a very different relationship to even the whole candidacy than Vanilla does, because you know, Vanilla is a princess, technically speaking, right? Her mother is the right. queen. Meanwhile, Chocolat's mother, Cinnamon, has passed away. Um, it happened when she was so young. And, you know, Cinnamon was also another um, candidate as well. So it was like Cinnamon versus Candy. But they were also uh, friends from everyone's understanding. She also is trying to go on this journey of, like, understanding the past, understanding what happened, understanding, you know, magical history in a way. And so we're kind of going on that journey with her. But yeah, like a lot of her stuff is her, you know, learning about all kinds of things. And another thing that happens in the show that doesn't happen in the comic, which is, again, also excellent, like literally an award-winning comic. So if you haven't read it, please check it out. But, you know, one thing that the series does that's very interesting is they introduce a few new colors to the spectrum of hearts. One of them is the Heart of Friendship, which um, occurs in episode nine. There's this recurring character, Akira. There, there are a few different kids in their class that they interact with a lot. But Akira is interesting because he saw the witches fall down to Earth and has been screaming about aliens ever since. And so... He's seen often like asking Chocolat if she's an alien and trying to get proof that they're aliens and all this silly nonsense. It's very funny. 
But in this particular episode, you know, this is where we kind of learn about his own backstory. You know, his father works abroad a lot, so he's away a lot of the time. So he's alone with his own dog, um, Hiroshi, and his dog goes missing at one point. And so they have to go on this kind of journey to try to find this poor dog. And it works, and they end up able to find him through some a bit of magic, but um, yeah, it was like a very sweet episode and all the work that they put into um, trying to find the dog has kind of awakened this green heart in Akira, which she does also take. And she also thinks this is like the best heart she's collected, right? She really treasures it more than the other ones, even if it's not like actually worth uh, the same monetary value. Right. And so that was really sweet. And then the other one that's important is the <laughs> the Queen Candidate midterm exam, which, again, it does not appear in the, the comic, but is in the series. And it's about rainbow hearts, which you can collect from girls. And so this is their exam. They have to uh, they have to make girls like give out these rainbow hearts of um, they're incredibly special, basically. And it's very interesting because it's a whole thing about, like, they have to collect them throughout the day. There's this kind of, like, you know, it's still a rivalry, but they have to figure out how to, yeah, how to get all the girls in school to be, you know, especially happy and pleased with their own thing. And it's, like, literally like a friendship challenge, which is really interesting and very sweet. Right. And so it's it's very fun because at first they throw a party and they do it in a very magical kind of way, a magic world kind of way, and it just kind of backfires. It's very Halloween-like, which, of, of course, when we get to Halloween, they are very successful in that regard. But here they have to, like, make a very cute party instead, and they invite absolutely everyone. It turns out in this case, Vanilla had more trouble than Chocolat because Chocolat can make all the girls laugh, but Vanilla has to deal with like kind of a little bit of jealousy because all the girls know her for like being the effect, uh, object of affection for all the boys, which is like kind of wild, but whatever. Um, <laughs> so yeah. yeah, they do both work really hard. So Chocolat makes sure that Vanilla also earns the hearts that she's trying so hard to get. But in the end, Chocolat is the winner and she gets a broomstick from Queen Candy, which is very exciting for her. But yeah, after that, we get the introduction of, well, we had already met them before, but Owen Soul, who are the two boys from the magic world who are just absolutely in love with Chocolat um, and are both insisting that they're going to marry her someday. I remember. <laughs> yes, they, they have been requested by Queen Candy to come to the human world and disguise themselves as uh, Chocolat's cousins in order to deal with the fact that there is some sort of presence that is nearby, some sort of possible threat. So them being, you know, boys who identify very much as like knights is, um, yeah, very interesting. <laughs> they, so they, they take Hi. it upon themselves to, to protect mostly Chocolat, but technically they're also supposed to protect Vanilla. <laughs> So that also gets into them some stuff because they are also going after girls' hearts at school. They are closer in age to Pierre, so they kind of are trying to yeah. deal with that as well. Yeah. On the episodes that you mentioned with the green and rainbow heart, I also, it's definitely such important episodes as well. And as you said, even though the midterm exam wasn't um, in the, the comic itself, it's still something like 
really how to describe it overall still happy that they included it somewhere or another because i do love the idea that even though as you mentioned these hearts or at least especially the green one that they're not how to describe it they're not as similar as the other ones where it's like catching quite literally the love or crushes of um these boys it's still something that makes me feel really much more relieved that they still focus on the aspect of friendship at least loving someone really much that you don't see them romantically but you see still see them special even when you see them platonically so it's definitely a sort of comfort especially for me personally since i follow around the arrow a spectrum looking back at it as you said and slowly remembering too definitely gives me a sort of even when it again not intentional it's still something that gives me a sort of comfort of my own identity or just in general of people that even if they don't identify the same as me it gives them at least a sort of reassurance that loving someone platonically is still as equal or as important as loving someone romantically so i do love that they focus on this aspect of relationships with other people outside of romance love yeah totally totally i think it is definitely very important um to acknowledge like again i mean we're talking about giving monetary value to love in general which is a little wild that's the whole premise of the show though yeah the fact that they are applying friendship uh to that as well is is really nice to see as an addition and i think that was quite intentional of them to like add that aspect because, like, I mean, there are definitely some things going on that are interesting about the focus on romantic love in the original. But, yeah, I do think that since they had the chance to explore a little bit further, I think it was a nice addition to the lore, really. But, yeah. And so I, we should also mention after the Queen Candidate test, which is uh, episode 13, as they are returning home, um, Shokola does notice a boy in a flying carriage that looks very similar to Pierre. So she's starting to really question what's up with that guy hmm. so there is that we get some other silliness um we also get the introduction like the proper introduction of shokla's grandfather who is a party animal of an old man <laughs> really wears out this poor girl um and just causes all sorts of trouble it's it's really wild but sure and they actually get into a kind of uh, their own little rivalry uh, where in their showdown like they have to both capture hearts and he's actually really good at it it's kind of shocking <laughs> but yeah so that happens and and he's like doing it all because he wants to uh, motivate Shokola more because he sees that you know she is definitely having trouble compared to vanilla and you know just she needs a little bit of a boost but yeah and then we get to one thing that was really interesting and like really shows up a lot in episode 18, which is the Halloween episode is like, you know, throughout the show, while the focus is definitely on trying to like theoretically, like, you know, seduce boys more or less in the most like non weird way possible. One thing that keeps happening a lot, um, especially with their friendships with the girls is that they end up helping other people with their own romances. And so like this kind of like comes to a head in episode 18 where their haunted house is like really good at getting couples together, which is fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And one thing that happens um, that 
we didn't like actually describe is that when they want to see what someone's heart color is like, they have to put their, they kind of have to make the peace sign right. over their eye. And this is interesting because, again, referencing Megujan, a 70s series, um, this is like something that they did in Megujan because it was the 70s and everyone was doing the peace sign like that. And then it just became this thing that like transferred over into like a specific magic thing here, which is very funny. But yeah, so so they are able to like see like, wow, there's so many pink hearts and we're in this like haunted house and whatever. So there's a lot of silliness there. Um, it's also an episode where uh, Chocolat actually works with the members, um, again, the, the Pierre fan club. Um, but everyone except for Yurika, who's like the leader of the group, right. they are always trying to keep Chocolat away. And they actually lock her away in the school storage room. But Pierre gets her out mysteriously. And then uh, Yurika also shows up. And this is where Chocolat sees for the first time. Vanilla had gotten the chance to see this earlier, but this is Chocolat's first time seeing that Yurika has a black heart or a noir heart. This is the heart of jealousy. And she learns from the others that like, this is actually a very dangerous heart. So, you know, if you're a witch, you can't take this heart because it will actually injure you to take it. So it was kind of like wild to see. And she was really worried about her friendship with Yurika that had been um, blossoming all this time. It seems like things are okay in that uh, regard. But yeah, then we get some other silly episodes. Uh, we get an episode with uh, human, <laughs> human Blanca, who has her own little crush, which is very cute. I found that adorable as well. <laughs> Yeah, I don't like Blanca. I really I don't. But it was a cute episode. <laughs> yeah, I I used to dislike Blanca when I was younger because she was unnecessarily rude to Chocolat most of the time, even when she's just trying to talk to her. And it's, right now I'm neutral towards her, but that episode of her having a crush, it's, it was adorable. Yeah, she's just like so... Huh, it was interesting <laughs> to see her like just become a completely different person um literally and also the fact that she was in love with this guy who was running a cheese shop and so she kept just needing to buy cheese and suddenly she was just like oh yeah i just happen to have all this cheese so i'm now cooking for everyone and then everyone's <laughs> becoming tired of all the cheese stuff it was very funny i love that but yeah then we see that like uh she learns that you know he actually has a girlfriend who's in paris and he misses her, so she actually asks Chocolat to use magic to help him uh, reunite with her, which is, like, very cute. And what's also interesting is that this was an episode with Blanca and Chocolat kind of bonding-ish, in a way, or at least they had a secret that Vanilla didn't know about, which was unique. Right. Yes. And then we had the, um, yeah, we had this little thing with uh, this little girl who saw Chocolat do magic and was like, oh my god, you're a witch, I want to be just like you. It was very cute. Turns out, like, she wanted to use magic because she wanted to reunite with her own teddy bear, which was, like, very... It was a very sweet little episode. Hmm. I'm trying to think of what else to mention in particular. But yeah, if you have any other thoughts of early episodes, we can go over them. Like, like as far as, like, for example, the magic item episodes, those, those are, you know plentiful and fun right, right? yeah those are really yeah. silly i also do find it hilarious how it was actually vanilla who won the spell book i believe i think it's like in order for them to buy yeah. an item they use a spell book to look at it it's 
Yes. I think it was around episode two or three. I don't remember where they got the spell book, but <laughs> I just find it a bit funny or silly how even though you see Chocolat use it the most, it was actually Vanilla who won it because she cleaned the house and Chocolat did nothing. Yeah, yeah. Like, I believe what it was is that, yes, she, she had been cleaning the house. Like, Vanilla does a lot of chores. She's very good in that regard. Right. And basically the reaction was um, from Robin was like, oh, as a way to say thank you, I'll buy you anything from the book. And so that's why they go through the catalog. So... Chocolat uses it, but it's also like she is spending her own money on it, you know? Yeah, so right. there's that. Yeah. But yeah, so she gets to use these items. By the way, fun fact, mm -hmm. this catalog is a real thing you can buy. And <gasps> really? Yes. I proudly have one in my library. It only came out like recently, like they made a new one. But I think it's, I don't know if it has all the items from the show or if it's just the ones from the comic. But... It's still good. You just made my morning. <laughs> <laughs> yes i um i have to re-examine it now that i've gone back to watch the show again but yeah it's um it's a very fun little piece of uh of merch to have mm -hmm. i think i i love it um <laughs> uh, let's see for me another episode i did enjoyed is it was around the time where chocolate and vanilla are trying to understand robin a little bit more it was definitely the part mm -hmm. where like he saved chocolate from a from a building or something uh but i like that episode because we got to see a different perspective of robin um and it's basically mm -hmm. um chocolate and vanilla trying to understand him and where he comes from as well i also do remember chocolate arguing with robin or so i did remember i do love that episode a lot because i usually what i I love mentor um, dynamics between the mentor and the apprentices and it's just one of the flawed aspects of that dynamic is that when you have a mentor they tend to be quote-unquote forgotten and they're usually as well again depicted as well older like Robin but way much more older than him in general usually like elderly um, people and stuff and again I did like the approach of Robin in general where as he's like a flirtatious rock star and so that is able to easily um, steal the hearts of women but then when you look at the dynamic between him and vanilla and chocolate i kind of see it as like a sort of like cool uncle sort of stuff that's just trying to take care of his niece which i do love the dynamic between him and the two girls mm -hmm. i especially do love that episode as well I, again this time in this episode i only remember it vaguely but it's definitely given some sort of aspect or at least in my case i do appreciate where this is a sort of media where they do not forget the importance of the mentor trope of this character within robin and it shows that yes even though he serves as only the mentor role there's still a lot about him that is still important to not just about the girl but also in world building aspects and as well as his own character as well he has his own goals and his own thoughts as well and it's basically outside of the mentorship role which i do appreciate um within that character and also again overall a nice direction in the mentor trope which again you do see a lot in fairy tales too not just within witches but yeah i do love that episode because for once it kind of gives like a little bit of conflict that again was resolved and within that episode and stuff i think they were trying to study him I believe, yeah too. that was episode 10 yeah 
There we go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because, you know, from the first time that they meet him and see him interact with, like, literally any woman, they see that, like, he has this incredible star power and this, like, incredible ability to just capture hearts of any color he could imagine. And it just, like, seems effortless. And so they're trying to figure out how it's effortless. And then they try to apply it themselves. And it doesn't quite work out for Shokula. It kind of works for Vanilla a little bit. But yeah, it was it was very interesting. And the other thing is, yeah, Robin, he doesn't want to like acknowledge the girls at all. But he especially does not want to acknowledge that like he is currently in charge of these two girls, right? Is like, technically their caretaker, technically their their guardian right. on Earth. Mm-hmm. Also, just because it's bad for his brand. It was very interesting to see how he reacted to them in, in the moment and then how what they learned was like very not necessarily actually helpful. Like there are th- things here and there. That episode also has this really funny scene where Shokola tries to pull off the moves that she would thought on a guy who happens to also be named Pierre. And then it turns out that the guy was French and didn't understand a word she said. And it was like so funny. <laughs> It was just ridiculous. But but yeah, of course, there's like the, the, the kind of like value of what they're doing that they have to kind of figure out in general. But like trying to balance their mission of collecting hearts with like what it means to collect hearts and then also like what their other relationships are like and, and so on is very interesting because we see that like Shokola has a lot of friends who are girls at school and then Vanilla doesn't really um it's kind of the same as before and she definitely has some feelings about that as well but you know the main thing is technically the the heart collecting and so you know she's doing a really good job of that so technically she's you know should be happy but things are more complicated than that mm-hmm. but yes so as things get closer to the kind of middle of the season you know, we get some more fun friendship episodes. We get an episode where Shokola and Vanilla go after the same boy. Well, Vanilla doesn't really try, but Shokola is trying very hard to go after this boy who clearly has a crush on Vanilla. Right. And also Blanca is like totally like, you know, egging her on and stuff. But it becomes this thing about uh, her grades and the fact that Shokola is really not good in school and he helps her out um, to study harder and ends up yeah, she ends up capturing his heart in that way. And so uh, in the end, his heart also turns pink for her. And it's like very, it's very interesting because they don't really talk about like the fact that some some characters seem to react like as if they don't feel any attraction, but it tends to like be presented as this thing where it's like, well, like they just have to try harder, which is not necessarily a good lesson, but... um Yeah, it's not. Yeah. So there is that. But yeah, so in any case, like that does work out. We get the episode where Shokola learns the the value of hearts, like physically speaking and uh, emotionally speaking, where like she gets this accessory, you know, this very cute heart shaped accessory that uh, she, I believe in the comic, she gets it from Queen Candy. But in the uh, in this, she did buy it, I believe. But in any case, like the magic basically just like causes boys to fall in love with her instantly and so she keeps just collecting and collecting hearts and she's just like having a ball at it and then she realizes that like 
you know, by the end of the day, all the boys at school are just exhausted and look almost like undead. And it's because, you know, their hearts are energy and she is taking their energy, like quite literally. And so she has to kind of think about the value of their love and also just like what it means to be taking their love again. But yeah, and then we get to this whole a bunch of secrets in episode 25, which is Pierre's secret and the diary secret. This is where, you know, Robin explains that there is a possible ogre at school. They're from the magic world, but they are separate from the witches and wizards, and they don't like witches and wizards. We don't know why yet, but they don't like them. And so you have to beware because they will go after Chocolat and uh, Vanilla. They seem to already kind of suspect that it might be Pierre because Pierre seems to be targeting Chocolat, romantically speaking. At the same time, you know, Chocolat is trying to figure out her own stuff and she has this diary that belonged to her mother, but it's locked away and no one knows where the key is. So she buys this paper that gives her the ability to look at the first page only of the diary. But it's enough for her to kind of like get to technically see her mother uh, as her mother speaks aloud to her and she sees her and it's like very, very emotional for her. But the advice that her mother gives her um, about this, you know, whole ordeal is to really appreciate every heart that she earns and like understand the value of it and show thanks for it. So it's it's a very sweet episode for that. Right. But yeah. The values, um, again, even though it's quite a little absurd how the love of someone already has a sort of quite literally a physical value to it where they can be sold. I definitely did side that moment between um, Cinnamon and Chocolat and her own mother saying that you you have to appreciate what you got of any sort of heart that you gained. Um, even though she stole them, but um, basically, I the the hearts having some sort of value to them. I definitely do see it as a sort of allegory of that. No matter how quote unquote lesser your heart is, it's still something worth gaining, so to say. It's a sort of advice where you cherish the kinds of things that people think about you in a good way, of course. I don't know, it's just the idea of someone cherishing you and appreciating you based on the value of hearts, no matter how big or little they are. It's still overall something in the end. I'm, in my opinion, it's better than nothing. And it also definitely takes me back to the green heart, even though it's, again, not worth as much as romantic love, uh, like the red or pink ones. It's, again, it's something that still valuable in the end and and again having these hearts have some sort of value and by value currency i definitely can see it as you can grab it or put it in a way to analyze it as the advice that cinnamon is giving to chocolate whichever heart you gain from someone whether it be coincidental intentional or unintentional it's still something worth cherishing or even giving it um, a sort of embrace towards it. They see you as a person, a person worth being cherished and accepted and loved for. And love comes in many different sorts of forms. It ranges from platonic, 
romantic, even queer platonic as well, and familial love as well. And you can also, dare I say, give some sort of love to your own pets. And love can be put into something that you can create or take care of as well. It comes in many different shapes and forms. So Cinnamon giving that advice to chocolate definitely means a lot to me. And Cinnamon reminds me of my mother too. So <laughs> it's definitely a double point of personal um, aspects to it. I don't know. It's just that the way I compare it, Cinnamon's a sort of motherhood that I see that you accept what you get. And the things that you get is something worth to look at before you judge it and disregard it. And my mother is definitely has that sort of same sort of mindset because she knows her boundaries, but she also knows what is best for her and what is something that's worth to be satisfied over, even if it's something as little as, I don't know, basically something that is seen as lesser than the riches, the money, the fame, and any sort of grand entry that people would fawn over. Mother, my mother, and just like sentiment is how I see it. She cares about many things and that's something I want to aspire to be, you know? The things that you get is what you get, but not out of malice or any sort of thing that you can see as poor, but rather what makes it special for you is because you're able to accept the fact that it was given for you in a sense. And of course, if you don't want something that you feel like isn't qualified for you, that's definitely valid. But the thought of someone giving it to me, putting that sort of effort and time for me or even for someone else too, it's definitely, I don't know, it just gives me a sense of joy that I do love and that I appreciate within that message and that I think might be an allegory to that within the values of these hearts in the series. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I didn't really think about it until like this conversation, but um, kind of looking back, because for me, I watched this series like originally, not in completion, because it was like harder to find shows online at the time. But um, right. when it was coming out, I was trying my best to watch episodes when I was like in high school or whatever. And, mm -hmm. you know, in hindsight, I think that like this kind of lesson definitely affected how I approached romance because in high school, I was one of those people that like basically just never had love. And it was like, I loved a lot of people. I understood the value of my love and my feelings for people, even if I was rejected. And right. so I didn't actually start to get to date until college. Um, like I had one partner when I was a freshman and then like, that only lasted for a few months and then whatever. And then in college, what happened was like, by college, I had this policy of like, if someone asks me out, I'm probably always going to say yes, because they went through that effort and they must like, have at least some sort of feeling that should be appreciated by, you know, saying yes or whatever. That did change over time right. as like reality set in. Yeah, but I get like it. still it was like a thing that like I did go on a few dates uh early in my young adulthood of with people who, you know, they approached me and sometimes I barely even knew who they were, but it was still like, Oh yeah, I want to show that I appreciate that they have these feelings towards me and then I want to figure out if there's anything here. Like I get basically to give them a chance, right? So yeah, mm -hmm. that must have like been affected by the show, which I just like did not occur to me until just now, which is right. fun. Um, but yes, so 
most of the show does deal with orange and pink hearts, you know, which are the kind of main thing the girls are collecting. But there are higher levels of, of hearts, and one of them is red. So episode 27, we do get the crimson heart for the first time. Akira's cousin, Miharu, who is like this very young boy, starts to become very fond of Shokola and... Like, it's like this thing where it's like, again, not really taken like super seriously in that it's like, well, yeah, he's a little boy. But when that happens, like, Shokola gladly accepts his heart and it's very sweet. Right. It's just like a generally very sweet episode about her kind of connecting to this human boy because they both miss their mothers. Yeah, it's like this just very interesting little kind of story that's like not necessarily important in the long run but it's still just like huh that's cute and like in general you know when they take their hearts like those feelings literally do disappear and that sometimes actually is like good for the people which i also find fascinating right yeah so then we get to the last two episodes of the the mid-season here which is where things start to really mm-hmm. escalate. So we know Pierre is suspicious. He might be an ogre, but we don't have proof yet. On top of that, Chocolat, as always, her goal is, well, I'm going to go for this by going after Pierre myself. I'm not going to like let anyone try to defend me or whatever. Like This is my fight. I'm going to fight it. You know, She's very tough in that regard. Then Pierre, in episode 28, asks Chocolat on a date to the aquarium. Always the aquarium. <laughs> it's a it's an interesting thing. It, it's it's in the comic as well. The the same location. Um, but right. but yeah. So uh, Chocolat is like, okay, well, this is gonna be the chance to find out who he really is and see if he she can capture his heart. And Vanilla is like really really worried about Chocolat and like trying her best to stop her from going because like again if a witch loses her heart she dies so literally her life is at stake and as they're there it does get revealed that Pierre is in fact an ogre he's a he's a prince of the ogres actually has always known that Chocolat was a witch and has been after her heart he also uses the noir hearts of all the fan club members and he is able to take them, even though he is an ogre, he doesn't actually get affected, but he uses the jealousy to also get a chocolat and is able to pretty easily turn her orange heart into a pink heart, and it's quite shocking. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Oso and Vanilla do try to go after him, and, you know, he kind of creates this invisible barrier in the aquarium, but luckily, because Chocolat was wearing perfume that Vanilla recognized, they're able to find her and take her... Uh, get her to safety it's like a very intense episode but also duke knows pierre's true name which he shouts and that stuns him and so what's going on with duke that's another good question with which we don't get answered at this moment but chocolat swears that she won't fall for it again and she will not fall for pierre and pierre also seems to have been affected by this whole ordeal so now things are getting really intense in episode 29, which is the mid-season finale, Chocolat and Vanilla go to the magical world because they've been invited to a wedding. And so um, this is where it gets into some interesting lore in that because witches and wizards and what have you, the, the people of the magical world only have one heart, uh, in order to get married, uh, they exchange hearts physically. Now, this does mean that like you can only have one romantic partner which is also 
not a great message, but we'll get into more of that later. But still, like, this is kind of the whole situation. This is the lore. So, yeah, they're very excited for the wedding and they get to reunite with a whole bunch of their old friends. And Shokola decides she wants to go to approach Queen Candy at the palace because she wants to know more about ogres. Like, everyone's been saying, don't worry about Pierre. Don't worry about the ogres. You need to focus on the candidacy and everything. But she really feels like she can't yeah, do that. Right. It's kind of absurd because she her she almost died. So I don't know how she right. could oh, forget about it when it happened so recently too. Yeah. So so Shokola does sneak away and she ends up getting uh, an audience with Queen Candy who explains the way that the magical worlds worked and everything. So this lore is so weird but okay Okay. (laughs) so you know the magical world was created by seven mages right right and only one of them was a man gloss he was married to the other six which i don't understand how that works in terms of like the way that they explain marriages but sure so you know that's cool for for him and whatever but they all became jealous and didn't want to share him so their solution was to imprison him for eternity his descendants were dubbed the ogres and banished to the the kind of outskirts of the magical world. And that kind of shows why they don't like the others, especially royal witches and wizards. And meanwhile, Queen Candy says her goal has she's been wanting to reunite the two groups and to, to make peace come back to the world. And it's just like such an interesting bit of lore for how everything happened. It still does not make any sense, but right, it's, whatever. It's, it didn't you make, because like the whole marriage lore where they have to physically switch their hearts. And then I'm just like, did he, how many, how, like, does he have to do it six times here and there with the, I don't know. Like, yeah. So I guess the, the, the way weddings work now was not maybe at the time, right. perhaps. Maybe it was like as a result of that uh, polygamous like marriage. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's why they do the the one on one thing now. I don't know. Yeah, I, <laughs> it's uh, like yeah. yeah. I saw it as a way as of like um, let's say gloss and the other six, and he were like I I, I don't know why because if we were to follow that logic, wouldn't he have like six hearts with him if he were to exchange? Right. But even then... So perhaps there was just no exchange whatsoever. Yeah, I'll have to yeah. do the math after this. I, I'm curious now. <laughs> but still, so so we have this kind of new myth that explains everything that's going on, including why the ogres, why Pierre might be going after Chocolat. So, so that's kind of how the mid-season ends. And things are, of course, going to take a big turn. We're going to get more into plot in the second half. But... um. Was there anything else that you wanted to say about the first half of the show? I guess one final thing, which again, I don't remember the exact episode there was it was in, but I remember the specific scene where Chocolat and Vanilla, because I really do appreciate their dynamic very much. Because usually in sorts of scenarios where the two main characters are in a competition with one another, they're most likely that the rivalry it's like a lot of bickering here and there. They try to one up on one up for each other and stuff. In the case with Chocolat and Vanilla, they really do try their best. And with the many examples we've listed, even when one, even when one notices the other is struggling a lot, they will not hesitate to help them. Which it's something that I feel like it's definitely a good thing for 
if a younger person were to watch this for the first time, it definitely gives them at least a good message or an idea that even if you're in a competition against someone and that someone happens to be a friend of yours, it's not something bad to help the other if they're struggling. And that one scene where like they were returning to Earth, if I remember, and they mentioned how no matter what happens, they had like this whole little monologue to each other where like no matter what happens they're still going to be best friends no matter what it's like a whole promise that they made with each other it's really sweet honestly and even though the show focuses a lot on romantic love i do appreciate that it also does focus or at least give enough space within friendship here and there and not just within the side characters but within the main the two main characters as well and again even though chocolate is the main protagonist well vanilla can be argued to be the secondary protagonist or deuteragonist they don't put vanilla into the side they they put her in in things that they know are going to be important within the story but a big change for chocolate as well because they've been friends for since childhood way before they moved into the human world so that scene in particular where they were up in the air i think it could be where it was like after chocolate won a broom in the midterm mm-hmm. but they were flying in the air and they were so happy together and i think i kind of cried in that episode too um because it was <laughs> gently really sweet it was like i cried tears of joy and it's like, I just love dynamics like that. Something so simple as of holding hands, looking at each other and wishing, and just for wishing for the best for your friend or anyone you care about, whether it may be. It's just generally something really adorable, but also very genuine that I feel like if a lot of people concentrate on that aspect within relationships, just in general, maybe they would feel much more satisfied, not with, within themselves, but with what they got of, the bonds and connections they make around with people which can definitely go back to the hearts allegory that i just made or said within the show but yeah that little scene it's still stuck in my head till this day and something that overall makes me smile when i think about it yeah yeah i think again their their friendship it's such an interesting like it's it's really the core of the show to me like Mm -hmm. It's so important that they remain friends the whole time. Like that is something they promise each other. They're always looking out for each other. They they don't really get into a lot of conflicts that like aren't easily resolved. Like they do have some conflicts, of course, but it's never something that has goes so bad as to like you'll think that they'll never become friends again, right? Like it's always solvable. It's always like technically silly stuff but it's always just like right. you know once they talk it out it's it's just very sweet and very good mm-hmm. i appreciate their dynamic a lot they're just so cute right. <laughs> yeah so i guess we kind of briefly mentioned it already but like the the general problematic elements of the show Ooh. yeah kind of go into <laughs> i mean part of it is just like the whole concept of the like monetizing of love and it being the goal of these 10 year old girls to right. uh, make boys fall in love with them. Like for one thing, it's the fact that it's can only be boys. Like they kind of do, you know, with the, both the friendship heart and the rainbow hearts, things are better, but it's still like, 
there's no possibility of right. the girls being a romantic interest. And of course, this is talking in a very binary sense, which is also, yeah. But like, there's that aspect of it in the first place. And then on top of that, they're very young. I do think there's a reason for their youth. I I would have to go into interviews with Moyoko Anno for why she decided to do this with this series. But I do think the main reason why they're so young is probably just simply because that way it's kept to being only romantic with them. Right. Because if they were older, you know, then there would be the possibility, like, people would have the notion at the very least of, like, sexuality. And, like, that just really isn't a thing in this series. Like, there's an episode where Shokola does get these shoes that make her age. Um, yeah, and I she thought does of that episode as well. When you mentioned problematic, I thought of the shoes episode where she ages mm-hmm. up. It's, it's something. I think it's okay because it's still like from the perspective of a child and like nothing happens. And it's like, Pierre was never going to do anything. He knew it was chocolate the whole time, for sure. Yeah, right? definitely. So like, there's nothing weird in that regard, but it was just like such an odd <laughs> reaction. <laughs> but again, it's just like that. I think all things considered, it was really just silly, like that's episode yeah it was more silly but even then there's still some cases again really few cases where just go you know i feel like people are gonna take this the wrong way even though it's supposed (laughs) to be like light fun here and there because as you mentioned pierre already knows that chocolate is chocolate if that makes sense yeah but i definitely do understand why people were gonna are gonna find that episode weird because even though it's not the first time where like a little girl becomes or transforms into a much more older version of themselves like the when i think about it i first think of minky momo or kumi mami where like they become a little bit more older mm-hmm. but because this is a concept of you know stealing hearts and i believe in that episode she was trying to steal loves of older guys and even though they didn't know it was a 10 year old disguised yeah. as an older girl it still is still questionable why you chose that directional well at the very least like she's doing it for you know the purpose of going after pierre yeah that's good and because she 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 gets like shoot away the the guys it was (laughs) she was just like not paying attention to anyone else even though she could have easily captured a whole bunch of hearts that day that's true she just like was very laser focused on Mm -hmm. pierre so all things considered, and again, like mentioning those series and all the other shows where a young girl ages up and there's romance involved, it always gets messy. This is like the best possible right, scenario that, for that, definitely. I think. Usually when yeah. it comes to a little girl, again, the skies are aging up and then there's romance involved. This is definitely the best scenario because at the very least, it's silly. It's good to be at least, you know, concerned or aware about its direction. But compared to other scenarios, this is definitely the much more safer option, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. But yeah, no, I definitely agree with you there. Yeah, I think that there's this aspect and it happens a lot um, in a lot of other shows, even up to like the present day where if you wonder why a character seems almost too young to be dealing with the things they're dealing with 
I feel like it's usually a case of wanting to keep the story more innocent. Mm -hmm. So, like, for example, because, like, this show was very heavily influenced by Megu-chan. Megu was 14, and her show is, like, very, very different in that there's a lot of sexualization of her character. She's put into various states of undress throughout the show. And, like, that's just, like, something that is, like, not possible in Sugar Sugar Rune. It just, like, can't happen because they're so young. So... I think that was very intentional, especially because Moyoko Anno does do very mature comics sometimes. And she's done comics with like very adult characters. She's done comics with like, like, like sexual situations, etc. Like she's not afraid to touch those topics. She's just like very careful about in this particular series, which is four girls right. and like stars a bunch of 10 year olds. Like she is able to, you know, keep it to to that. I, that's something I appreciate about her. Like she she has a variety of different kinds of stories um, when she wants to make what she's she's very intentional right. that's good actually that she's aware yeah. that the main characters in sugar sugar ruin are not old characters but rather they're literal children so that's good to hear honestly yeah i think that even though it seems like wow why are they going after hearts etc it's like well if they were older it would get into like weirder that's stuff true. which would they avoided by making them 10 so i think it works for that reason right. <laughs> yeah I think another theory that I also had is that they also do focus on, because they're, again, they're 10, they're still discovering a lot of things. It kind of makes sense why they made them young, because usually at that, around that age, um, you're basically still discovering a lot of stuff within your youth. So them making them young, um, again, makes sense in terms of discovering um, your own emotions and the emotions of others, especially when it comes to love. And I definitely know that when I was 10, I definitely was trying to understand or discover love and basically overall romantic too, because I never, I mean, in my youth, I and I still do not, I never felt any romantic attraction towards anyone. I came into the conclusion that I only am going to be romantically attracted to someone when I form a special bond with them. It took me years, I would say. Um, but yeah, definitely at the age of when around youth, you're still discovering a lot of stuff, especially questioning your own sexuality here and there. Um, in terms of 10 year olds, you're definitely questioning um, the approaches of it and understanding the concept of it. So I do believe it's nothing new for a 10 year old to want to understand it better. But again, understandably so why people are going to be questioned or at least find it questionable of this approach. But on the very least, as you mentioned, I do appreciate that Moyoko Ano wrote it in a way that's mature and she is aware. Writing the two characters, Chocolate and Vanilla, two 10-year-olds or children, in a way that she is aware that she needs to be careful with this sort of stuff, you know? And that's, again, a relief to know that she is um, being aware of this. Yeah, yeah. This is me speculating mostly, like, that's what it seems to be like, Hi. because I am a big fan of her work, and I've read a, quite a few of her comics. It is very different to read one of her stories that feature children and read one of her stories that don't. Mm -hmm. It's great. She's one of my favorite comic book artists. And she's a huge influence on me. So, um, yeah, but okay. <laughs> like... I think it's good to to have that separation. I think that like it's really great that you know. Just thank you for sharing about like your own um, experience. I think it's really good no that 
I'm thinking about like as a thing for kids, but also and it's like the the audience itself is going to usually be around their age and stuff. And I definitely think that kids are thinking about romance already by this age. Like that's definitely not the issue. It's not like like putting adult ideas in onto children or anything like that. But right. it just seems like, oh yeah, everyone could fall in love with these two girls and stuff. I don't know. I know. Yeah, yeah it's just, I get it. it. It's one of those things where it's like, you don't have to think too hard about it. It's just a silly little idea in a contest and a, you know, this, this homage to this past series. Cause I think for the average Japanese person, like watching Sugar Sugar Rune, like adult wise, they would recognize this as having been a, a reference to Megu-chan in so many ways. And, but still being a much like cuter, sweeter, sillier version of it. So mm-hmm. it's a net positive. Like there's things it's like, you have to think about it for a while, but I do think overall it's good. For me, what does concern me is the relationship between Chocolate and Pierre, because I I will say this, when I was 14, I definitely did not thought of being in a relationship with a 10-year-old. Mm-hmm. I just don't like the idea of it. It's, mm, I, but I feel like that's also another valid criticism because usually in a lot of um, shows and around the 2000s and so they do feature unfortunately a lot of age gap romances which can again understandably it also sometimes makes me feel weird about watching this to seeing how normalized it is at least back then and i was like you know this could have been a whole lot better if they do it in a little bit of approach but i do remember and i do remember why they do age gap romances because if i recall usually when younger female audiences they tend to imagine being in a relationship with much more older guys. I think that's one of the reasons why they tend to do age gap romances. Still, again, I don't blame anyone feeling grossed out about it. I also did feel grossed out about it when re-watching Sugar Sugar Rune multiple times as well. When I first watched it, I was really little. I didn't notice it at first. I was like, oh, that's cool. That that They're lovely together. But then when I grew up, I was like, that's a 14-year-old interest in a 10 year old I, I again even though it's like a four-year difference it matters where the ages between these two are because one is in elementary the other one's in middle school I believe like yeah that's again I feel like that's could be mentioned as one of the problematic aspects of sugar sugar room which is the age gap romances you can definitely educate me on this aspect but that's something I thought of mentioning as well to let people be aware because I know there's some that, again, they don't, they're not fond of it, and they prefer, they prefer people told them to keep in mind what other content or problematic content they have within a series or comic. But yeah, that's one aspect I thought of worth mentioning that could be a possible conversation about. Yeah, no, totally. As far as like why there are so many, I mean, it's not a, it's not an old thing. It's still something that we still have yeah. in girl series to this day this Mm -hmm. year this season of tv my understanding of it is like because the target audience is younger girls the idea is like it's trying to sell a fantasy a little bit right it also depends on the series but like uh yeah i think that's kind of what they were going for in this case right and so you know he is like yeah 13 or 14 i think it depends uh i believe he's 14 in the comic yeah, it's not great, right? Uh, definitely, like, yeah, if I can't imagine that happening, like a 14-year-old and a 10-year-old having a romance or whatever. Right. But, like, at the same time, it's like they're already 
unhealthy because of who Pierre is. <laughs> so, right, exactly. So even if yeah. even if they do H up chocolate or they D H Pierre, it's still questionable, you know, because as you mentioned, the how he tries to target chocolate in the beginning already. Like there's already a lot of other things that are bad about the way that he treats her and everything in the start of the series. So it's kind of like fine in that regard because it's not like anything actually happens at this point with them at this age. The attitude that he has with chocolate, I also do think also comes with the fantasy of a young, of a younger audience, specifically girls. Cause I think he was titled or nicknamed as the cold prince, if I recall correctly. Yes. And it's definitely a common thing within media tropes where the cold character has a secret dark past or mysterious side to them that the main character is trying to figure out and usually the main character is quite the opposite in terms of personality that defers the the cold prince trope in fact i can even argue that within the way he acts he might be a not just a title for his character but just overall the kind of love interest that many people dubbed that has the sort the same sort of attitude as Pierre. And you also do see this a lot in usually some fairy tales where like a prince, and not just a prince, but also a sort of princely-like figure that you never knew was a prince before, at least the main character never knew was a prince before. Like it takes me back to um Beauty and the Beast, where like the main character, Beauty, she like finds the beast and the more she gets to know him, um, the more she finds out more of his true nature, which is someone who is warm and really understanding, which is outside of the cold, beastly persona he tries to make, which also comes back to the ogre idea, which I find it funny how even though they're called ogres, they're supposed to be a little bit more different than the witches and wizards, they still kind of look the same a little bit. Mm -hmm. But... It does give me that idea, because even then, in the Beauty and the Beast, sometimes the Beast is also referred to as an ogre in certain cases, whether it be the audience themselves or in other cultures as well. And funny enough, Beauty and the Beast was written by a French woman, and Pierre is a French name. So again, I don't know. This is how I personally analyze a lot of media that I love. I tend to insert my special interests many times, not just because I always want them to connect with it, but more of like, it's just to help me understand the world in general better, and it definitely still has. But I like to keep these little notes here and there for my own personal enjoyment, and don't mind sharing it to other people, whether they disagree with me or not. It's still nice to talk about it. But yeah, that's how I got with Pierre's character in general. He is an interesting written character, but definitely someone that could be Again, understandably written better in terms of the age gap romance, but as you said, it's already questionable enough how he targets chocolate. Yeah, yeah. It's part of part of the package of Pierre is a bad romantic interest. <laughs> yeah, kids, don't trust anyone who's like Pierre, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that's all we have to talk about with the show, but is there anything else you wanted to mention? Um, I think I've talked a lot about it. Besides the fact that I, I insert myself in any media that I love, and, and Sugar Sugar Ring is no exception, I feel like it's still one of the most prominent and important aspect in Magical Girl history, where, as you mentioned, it could potentially reference 
a old show, um, Megu-chan, correct? Mm-hmm. And I don't know, it's just, again, the approach about it, it's something unique to within the story itself that you usually don't see a lot. Of course, you see, you know, other common tropes within use, you know, the use of witches and candies usually connected or resembled to one another, cold prince trope, the concept of love and figuring out the youth of the main character and that being an important aspect within their development and basically the whole innocence of childhood and stuff. It's just combined all of this together. I cannot imagine something similar as Sugar Sugar Rune. I mean, of course, similarities here and there, but I think it's, again, it's its own thing that definitely is something worth checking out, especially within the works of Moyoko Ano, and not just within the series, but also her own art as well, that you can definitely look into. I've certainly looked into her art, mainly Sugar Sugar Rune. I'm still a newbie within her works, but the way she stylizes it, at least the characters, and she definitely has very good fashion sense with within, within the character designs too. It's And again, if you ever have the time, no pressure, of course. I feel like I would definitely recommend Sugar Sugar Rune as a series worth checking out if you're still trying to dig deeper within the magical girl genre. But yeah, that would be all for now. <laughs> yeah, I love I love this show deeply. I think it's a a very vital part of the series or the the whole genre. I think it's a very interesting kind of part of the genre in terms of like looking at it from magical girl history. You know, again, it's like the kind of final magical series, and like looking at it like from just a like how it's connected to past series and and just yeah, there's like a lot going on here that I think makes it like really interesting um and also just like interesting that we haven't really gotten anything like this in a really long time because we right. are approaching the 20th anniversary of this series we'll see if that changes anything as far as like what will happen for the 20th anniversary because i know that's when starts you know that the merchandising and stuff starts kicking in a little bit more but yeah it's just like huh it's interesting to see how big this show seemed to be and then compare it to like how the genre is because it just became like hero time like fully after this point but yeah so i guess with that we can uh wind down to the final question which is um willow do you have a magical persona for yourself that is a very good question i guess when i was when i found out that social media exists i did had a magical girl sona um at least when i drew her it was specifically pretty cute Mm-hmm. But then she's really out, outdated. I threw away the concept. I was also a bit young too, where like, I also was still trying to figure out some certain English terms specifically that's used a lot of online that I never knew about. Like Sona, I thought it was just another word for OC, but one that has the same personality as you. Only to realize that a Sona OC is basically you in a sense, but in different scenarios here and there. One of the reasons why I scrapped it is not only do I not feel connected with her anymore, she also had a Japanese name. And I, when I grew up, I was like, wait, this is not okay for me to do. And I scrapped her entirely. Mainly, and also because I didn't know what else to do. I do currently do have a Sona. She is not a magical girl. Instead, she's more like a weeping willow creature, so to say. 
and she definitely takes much more inspiration a little bit of leafy on within the tale here and there if i were to be a magical girl sona definitely in relations to um nature like and bits of fairy tales here and there think of like a a, a storyteller so to say that's living inside a cottage like den so to say making herself tea and basically recording any sorts of stories that comes to mind so that way they can keep the characters alive cuz the characters themselves or people that's the sort of concept i would go for if i were a magical girl sona and definitely still a silly forest creature <laughs> <laughs> but overall um i guess that would be for me as a magical persona and if i ever have the time i will probably draw draw them out you know Hmm. Awesome. Well, I do look forward to to seeing that if if you ever do. Um Of course. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, thank you Willow so much for coming on the podcast to talk about Sugar Sugar Rune. No problem. Yeah. Thank you for inviting me. Of course. Where can people find you and follow you online to talk about this show and other magical girls? Um so far I'm most active on Twitter and you can find me at Dolice Hearts. It's a difficult pronunciation man but it's quite literal so that's where you're going to find me a lot i do have instagram with the same username dolice hearts big warning though if you only came here only for my art that's going to be impossible because if you check in the media's tab it's a lot of randomness within me it's basically i'm just at the moment i'm a small account i mainly use my account to gain as many commissions as I can for my own college funds and as well for my family too and overall to talk about things that I love here and there and interacting with mutuals and friends so yeah that's where you're going to find me if you want to or at least if you're interested to um experience or see my buffoonery here and there um so yeah, that's where you're going to find me. <laughs> yeah, of course. So, yeah, we'll link to both of those in the show notes. So thank you again, and I hope you have a good rest of your day. You too. And again, thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you for listening to another episode of Sparkle Side Chats with Magical Girl Ayu. Now, whether it was your first or final time listening, we really appreciate each and every one of you. If you want to find more episodes of the podcast, you can do so over on uh, Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever else you get your podcasts. When you're over there, be sure to leave a rating and review as it helps out this little show so much. If you can support the podcast financially, you can find me over on Kofi. That's k o dash f i dot com slash ayushinos, which is a y u s h e k n o w s. You can either pledge monthly or leave a one-time donation. Either way, it will grant you access to all the bonus episodes of the podcast, more of which are to come soon. If you want to find me on the socials. I'm over on Twitter, Instagram, and Blue Sky as Ayushinos. Again, that's A-Y-U-S-H-E-K-N-O-W-S. 
And you can find the podcast at Magical Girl IU. That's Magical Girl A-Y-U. Thanks again for listening. And remember, you are magical forever and always. Goodbye.